Welcome to TW Now. I'm Scott Winnale. Today is the one-year anniversary of the Parkland school shooting in Florida, where 17 youth and adults lost their lives. Our hearts go out to those who suffered such a terrible and a tragic loss. One cannot help but wonder if more people were taught to truly believe in the Ten Commandments, including thou shalt not murder, would events like school shootings begin to disappear? The Ten Commandments are an ancient set of laws known by most who call themselves Christian. These laws adorn plaques, monuments, buildings, and churches, and they've informed British common law, the backbone of most Western democracies. In our secular society today, though, where religion and belief are so personal, the Ten Commandments appear to be less relevant than ever. For many religious people, certain of the Ten Commandments are no longer applicable, and many see them as simply legalistic. For those outside, the Ten Commandments are often seen as antiquated, personally invasive and no longer relevant in a society with changing morals. For example, here's a headline from the Huffington Post from 2015, clearly showing that the Ten Commandments are viewed as a relic of the past. Are the Ten Commandments given to Moses long ago really irrelevant? <clears throat> Were they really nailed to the cross by Christ and the Apostle Paul? Or does the Bible make clear that they're still to be kept today? Why is the millennia-old debate of Moses versus Jesus still alive today? On our program, our returning guests today will help us better understand these issues and help us find clear answers to the Scripture. Back with us again is Mr. Wallace Smith. Mr. Smith is a minister and a Tomorrow's World presenter. He's a writer. He's also a biblical teacher and knows this subject well. Welcome, Mr. Smith. Thank you, Dr. Brown. And joining us also on Skype from St. Louis is Dr. Richard Franz once again. Dr. Franz is also a minister and a pastor and a Bible teacher, also very knowledgeable about this topic. Gentlemen, it's good to have you both back on the program today, and I'm looking forward to our discussion. By the way, we also encourage you as our viewers to be sure to subscribe, like, and share today's program. Okay, let's jump into this, Mr. Dr. Franz, actually. What are some of the current societal beliefs concerning the Ten Commandments? As we look at society today, there are lots of views out there. How do many people in society view the Ten Commandments? Well, referencing your, the Huffington Post article that you just mentioned, uh, the, the first sentence is, it wouldn't be hard to pick a better ten. It, it seems that there's a level of arrogance that we have, but we're torn between ourselves. On one hand, we have a society that wants to move the Ten Commandments out of the public square, or don't want to have that moved out of the public square, but at the other, at the other hand, we don't really want to practice those commandments either. Uh, we're, we're torn between two worlds, and it seems there's a little bit of confusion, and uh, I think it, goes, it boils down to we want to make our own rules. Uh, and there's a there's tremendous danger to that because once we move uh, the moral values, the absolutes, uh, where do where do we stop and where do where do we put them back down at and and who is it that decides? Okay. Okay. Mr. Smith, what do you have to add to that, sir? Oh, I appreciate the question. I know I was a high school teacher in what feels like a previous life, and I had a very sharp student, a number of sharp students, but in particular, really on the ball. And he was trying to convince me one day that there really was no such thing as absolute right and wrong. And 
it was difficult because I know a lot of students also generally agreed. They, they like, just as actually Dr. Franz was saying, they liked the idea that, that you need to discover for yourself what's right and wrong. And so I was trying to find some common ground. So I decided to focus on murder. You know, the commandment says don't murder. And I said, well, don't you agree if, if say, you had a stereotypical person go postal, you know, say a postman, well, just a specific example, you know, someone just has a bad day and they do one of these terrible things like the shooting you're talking about and they just, say, killed everybody at work. They just brought in a gun, did something horrible. Again, just like this shooting. I said, can't we at least agree that that's wrong, that that's a wrong act? Mm -hmm. And he said, absolutely not. He said, we may want as a society to stop such things and prevent them. We may uh, agree as a group of people that this is something we don't want to encourage, but you can't label such things as wrong. Now, on one hand, this was only a, a teenager, but you're also looking back at the 90s. This was really the early 90s when I was teaching high school. And what I see in society, in answer to your question, is that that's just grown large, this idea of moral relativism, that there might be things that are right and wrong, but we determine those ourselves. And the Ten Commandments, I think one of the reasons there's sort of a, an odd reaction, such as the, the, the article you referenced by the Huffington Post, is because few things in our culture sort of picture an absolute idea of right or wrong mm -hmm. that you're not in charge of, that you don't have any influence over, like the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments have an air of there is a right and wrong, it was dictated by someone who isn't you, and you're held accountable to that. And in terms of societal attitudes, I don't think people go for that anymore. I don't think they like that idea. So do we, this idea of moral relativism, I think is powerful. We see it all around us today. We see laws in our, our nations that have been solid for decades or centuries in some cases that are beginning to change as the morals shift in society. When we look at moral relativism, do we see moral relativism in, I guess, do we see it more in younger generations or older generations or do we see it across the board? What have you noticed, either from reading or just from life in general? I think life in general, you'd see that there's a, it's across the board. I don't know that there is a uh, an age relative to this, although uh, we certainly could pin it on the uh, younger the younger generation. Uh, but for for years, and I would go back to the 1960s. Mm. Um, we don't like authority. We don't want to be under authority, and we want to be our we want to be our own boss. Uh, we want to do things that seem right to us. Um, some people would agree that as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, but um, many times I don't think that through enough that they have, they do things and say things that really are destruct, uh, destructive. Uh, but again, without uh, a core set of values, uh, we're really not interested in coming under an authority of uh, whether, whether it's God or whether it's even the government of the United States or whatever country that we live. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think that there was a uh, there was a time. The '60s is actually a great example when there began to be a larger move in a particular direction. And many of those individuals are now our policymakers. They're mm. our cultural influencers. <clears throat> They're those who are uh, running the halls of academia. You look even at U.S. presidential candidates. There was a time when President Clinton didn't want to confess if he had done so to actually inhaling uh, marijuana from marijuana that he had that he, yeah, I, I held it I did it but I didn't actually inhale to even a most a recent candidate in recent days 
absolutely saying, oh yeah, we totally did marijuana, listening to music and all sorts of stuff. Because you do see a shift in terms of, well, we've decided that's not, that's not wrong anymore. I, I did, there was a, a friend of mine in France, we were visiting in France, we were in Paris, and we noticed there at the Champ de Mar, close to the Eiffel Tower, how younger people in their 20s and 30s were just leaving garbage there, et cetera, because someone would have to come clean it up. And they didn't, someone's being paid to do that. I don't want to do that. Why do I have a responsibility for that? And we'd asked a friend of ours who said that when you talk to the oldest among them, the, say the, the World War II generation and, and earlier, they kept saying, uh, yeah, young people today, they need a good war. They need a good war to help them understand. Because mm. so I wonder if in our society, especially post-World War II, society started to look better and better. And without these kind of difficulties that make us think of the more important things in life, we've just become sort of, sort of libertine. And all the more, we don't highlight core values like the Ten Commandments anymore. Interesting. Dr. Franz, your, your reference to the 60s is interesting. I just had the thought that, you know, Woodstock was about 50 years ago. If that gives us any context of the leadership that you're talking about leading this country, actually, those people are getting ready to retire. Mm. And, and so, to give us a context for time, uh, yeah, it's been around for a while now. Let's move on. We've been talking about society in general. What about those who call themselves Christians? What, is, what are some of the prevailing beliefs amongst those who call themselves Christians regarding the Ten Commandments? Thoughts, Dr. Franz? Well, it's, it's interesting. Um, I went to a, when, in my early days, I went to a church that uh, as long as you went to confession on a regular basis, you didn't really have to pay attention because uh, you could get cleaned up on a regular basis. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't something that was, I'll say, promoted, uh, that there should be a standard of repentance, that there should be a standard of life. It was more of a, uh, a one-a-day thing, and uh, a once-a-week thing. And in fact, uh, the, the church that I attended would speak to us in a foreign language. So there was a level of misunderstanding or no understanding because uh, that wasn't, that wasn't, didn't seem like that was the push. And I don't know that it's any different today in a lot of the different churches that are out there saying, calling themselves Christians. Hmm. I had an interesting, I didn't attend the same sort of a body of faith that Dr. Franz did. Mine was a, more of, say, the Protestant tradition. At the same time, they, it was generally a group of people that were actually considered legalistic by other Christians. Mm -hmm. That's one thing about the label Christian. It's so flexible. It, it seems to mm -hmm. uh, wrongly really embrace a whole lot of different ideas. And I remember as I began studying the Ten Commandments, actually watching programs like Tomorrow's World Now and, and similar programs, uh, that I began to take them more seriously. And I remember it really struck me that they hear my, uh, I'll just say relative, one of my relatives who was very deep in this particular faith um, was worrying I was going to become legalistic, you know, and I said, whoa, wow, where's this coming from? And it really was an interesting discussion there in terms of where, how they approach things because they were very firm that there's a right and a wrong. But when you tried to boil down what's the source of that right and wrong, it was quite a challenge because they'd want to appeal to, say, the example of Jesus Christ. And I would say, well, Jesus Christ kept the commandments. Well, okay, but you know, he, he might have done those so we don't have to. There were different arguments. Well, then, well, how do I pick the parts of the example of Jesus Christ, you know, to follow or not to follow? Mm -hmm. And it really was sort of a morass that, at least in my personal experience, many, many different 
organizations and bodies of people labeled Christianity argue in different ways. They seem to argue where they want to retain some of the benefits and clarity of the Ten Commandments, but want the freedom to discard those parts they don't like. And so I think when I look out into the, the world labeled Christian, that, that's my experience. Mm -hmm. There's, a, there's a, uh, a, a male artist that was uh, uh, up for a Grammy Award or going to the Grammy Awards, and he came under fire because his church was against the uh, LGBT movement. And uh, he, he, uh, he defended himself by saying, no, my church has, uh, our doors are wide open for anybody to come in. And he, he explained then his faith does not define him. And I thought that was just so telling with how our world looks at standards uh, such as the Ten Commandments and, and how, how relative they are for our life. Um, it just, I thought it was just a telling comment that, they, that the gentleman made. I've seen the same thing like Dr. Franz is referring to. People want to compartmentalize. There's the life that they should live that's religious uh, that is confined to church or even certain public circumstances. Mm -hmm. uh, but then there's the life they want to live outside of that, you know, the, when, it's, when it's really just them. And part of what's interesting about the Ten Commandments is it, it really has a foot in both worlds. It has... If there, as if there are two different worlds. It has this religious basis, clearly. It's, it's their, their laws that were given by God at a certain time, but they're laws that actually touch on your activity all the time, not just when you're inside the walls of a sanctuary or wherever they're meeting. And I think that is part of what some of the, the Christian world struggles with now increasingly, as there's this idea that, that we can't somehow, as Dr. Franz was saying, live two separate lives when, of course, you can't. Mm. You know, society, or actually many churches today, will use the phrase, I've heard it as a minister, talking with people who are sort of wrestling with the issue. Uh, I've definitely heard it listening to televangelists. But the, the idea that Jesus Christ nailed the Ten Commandments, or the law of God, to the cross, what kind of comments do you have about that? Did he nail the law to the cross? I'll give you the short answer, let Dr. Franz give the long <laughs> right. answer. Short answer is no. Go, Dr. Franz. <laughs> well, I think what we're referring to is Colossians 2 and verses 14 through 16. Uh, and it states, uh, it states in, that, in that chapter, is having wiped out the handwriting of requirements against us, which is contrary to us, taken out of the way, having nailed it to a cross. Uh, well, the Ten Commandments have never been addressed as uh, ordinances um, but what was what was nailed to the cross was was the physical body of Jesus Christ. Uh, the accusation that was against him that Pilate uh, wrote, and he said, "What I've written, I've written," and also the certificate of debt. Uh, our debt, when we sin, our debt is uh, the wages of sin is uh, is is death. In fact, we have a, a world ahead um, Bible study course that has a, a wonderful article on this. And the term handwriting of ordinances, that's, that's the note of debt that was nailed to the cross. So Christ died in our stead, but he didn't die, so we stayed in our sins. Uh, Christ was nailed to the cross, and his crucifixion, that sacrifice, paid the debt for our sins, having removed that out of the way. But he didn't die in vain that we could just keep on sinning. He died so, so we didn't have to pay that uh, final debt. And now we have an opportunity now with, a, with God's Holy Spirit 
uh, to live the life that he lived uh, and, and allow him to live, live his life through us today. Right. The Apostle Paul says plainly, you know, do we, you know, now that there's grace, do we thus continue in sin? And he says, may God forbid that. I think if you talk to most when they say, well, the commandments were nailed to the cross and therefore I don't really have an obligation of any sort, I'd want to say, so are you saying that, that the reason Jesus Christ willingly allowed himself to be crucified was so that you could cheat on your wife as frequently as you would like to do. Oh, well, no, of course not, you know, or that she could cheat on you or vice versa. Are you saying that Christ said, I want to make sure that Mr. Ceiling Wall here can murder as many people as he wants without any worry about his spiritual state? Well, no, of course not. When people say that, they often are really, regrettably, just looking for which of the commandments they don't want to keep, regrettably. Most of us want to keep m most of the commandments and would rather those around us actually keep those commandments. It, it's, it's a just as uh, Dr. Franz very briefly, on a show like this, it's hard to go into a great deal of detail, but you, know, you take that apart when you actually look at the context, what, he, what was nailed to the cross was the debt that our sins have earned for us. We've earned death, but just as a, an, an inmate who's doomed to die on the electric chair or, or by lethal injection has been freed through no benefit of his own to go back into society. He hasn't been given an all-day pass to murder as many people as he wants. It's now go back and, and do better. It, and it seems plain when you read the entirety of the Bible. Yeah, I think of it as sort of the historical criminal record that we've earned that is wiped away. We have a clean slate going forward. It's like being right. let out of jail um, once our sentence is up. Right. Uh, we've got a new clean slate, but if we sin again, we're going to go back to jail. Right. The Apostle Peter talked about that as like a dog going back to his vomit, not to be gross, right? But a dog going back to his vomit or a, a cleaned pig going back to its muck and its mire. The, goal, the reason you were freed from those things was so that you wouldn't go back to them. Mm-hmm. And it's, there's not there's not a there's not a gray area. We we either follow the precepts of the God of this world, or the God that made this world. I like what how Dr. Meredith put it in his booklet. He said there's no middle ground. You either delight in in God and His law and serve and obey Him all day long, or else you serve and obey your own lusts. And that's so telling. Is that's what the world would, would rather do, uh, like Mr. Smith said, there's, there's some commandments that just, uh, to the average Joe, just, it just makes sense that you do that. But uh, let's not get carried away and, and think that we have to live by every word. Well, let's, let's actually go to the scripture that uh, was inspired by the God of the Bible and talk a little bit more about what it actually says regarding the Ten Commandments. Are there verses, even in the New Testament, uh, that tell us we should be keeping the law of God today? And, and sort of as a corollary to that, why should we keep the law of God today? Well, one of the passages that comes to my mind most frequently is where the Apostle John says, if we say that we know him, speaking of God and Jesus Christ, if we say we know him and don't keep his commandments, we're a liar. And we, we need to understand, we're not talking about some sort of perfect, never make a mistake sort of keeping the commandments. There's a difference between slipping up and doing something, repenting, asking for forgiveness, versus making a way of life of just ignoring that there is such a guideline. Mm -hmm. Was that a man, he said that those who say they know 
Jesus Christ, that they know God and yet they don't keep his commandments. He says they're liars. And it's such strong language. But it reflects to me that if I, if I choose to just uh, ignore all the, command, the commandments that God has given and I say I know him, well, then clearly I don't. I don't actually know him. It'd be like someone saying they know me, but they have no idea what movies I like. They say, oh, yeah, he loves horror movies and he loves this. Like, I don't like, I don't like horror movies. Then clearly you say you know me, but you don't. And I've always found that to be one of the strongest statements about the, about the commandments. Okay. It's interesting. I, I, I always appreciate uh, the, the gospel messages and, and we get such a flavor for Christ and how he lived his life and what he taught. And he said in, in Matthew, he said he didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And a lot of people get that all mixed up. They, mm -hmm. they think that, he well, he filled it to the full and now there's nothing else for us to do. But what's interesting, when you do a little bit of a word study and you look at that word fulfill, you can look over in the book of Luke in the fifth chapter. And Jesus Christ just got done teaching uh, on the Sea of Galilee. And he was in the boat, I believe it was with Peter. And he told Peter to put out a little bit and and, uh, and to cast the nets out. And and Peter kind of was, it gives you the impression that Peter was just more or less dragging his feet. He said, listen, Lord, we went out there all day long and we didn't catch anything. And he finally relented and he did what God said to do, what Jesus Christ said to do. And the nets were filled with fish. In fact, it was so full that the boats were starting to sink. The word fulfill in Matthew, where Christ fulfilled the law and where the nets were filled with fish, that the boats were sinking, it comes from the same Greek word that he filled it up. And you read in, I call it Christianity 101, the Sermon on the Mount. Christ actually broke down the law and made it even more binding. It made it more difficult because now, uh, now it has to do with what our, what's going on in our mind, just not what we do in, through our actions throughout the day. Yeah, another verse another that comes verse. to mind is the uh, Apostle Paul. Because if anyone is accused of trying to do away with the law, it's the Apostle Paul. Mm -hmm. And yet you look in Romans. In Romans, which is often many the go-to book that people will sum, well, second or third in terms of a list of go-to books, to try to say that Paul doesn't agree with the law. He makes very plain in Romans chapter 7 that the law is holy. The commandment is holy and it's just and it's good. And there are those who would say, well, yes, he's saying it's so good you can't keep it. But they're, I don't want to say they're being intellectually dishonest, though it's possible. It's like saying, well, you know what? You can't love your wife perfectly. Well, is that my excuse then not? to love her at all? That doesn't make any kind of sense. If something is truly good and it's holy and it's just, and that's how the Apostle Paul has described the law and the commandments, well, isn't he then endorsing our pursuing them? Isn't he actually endorsing us wanting to make them a part of our lives? The New Testament doesn't contradict the old one that we are to seek holiness in our lives. Wouldn't that include those commandments that are? When you read Paul carefully in the New Testament, it's a ringing endorsement of the commandments. Mm. Yeah, it, was, it reminds me of a question or a comment that I've heard frequently with people who are struggling with the law and grace issue. And the, the question is, okay, in the New Testament, yeah, we see law referred to or His commandments, but how do we know that's talking about the Ten Commandments? Mm. Christ gave all kinds of commandments right. when He was on the earth. How, how, how do we know? Are we able to tell from the Scripture which commandments He's talking about? Okay, then the, the verse that comes to mind is another I like then, is the passage in James. James, we know James was thinking of the Ten Commandments, among other things perhaps, because he actually mentions some of the commandments. And what he talks about there 
in James is he calls it a law of liberty. You know, people say this is some sort of restrictive. How can you try to live under such a restrictive, terrible law? And I think, well, okay, being faithful to my wife, I'm not so sure that's very restrictive. Knowing my kids are trying not to lie to me, I'm not sure that's very restrictive. We know he's talking about the commandments, and yet he describes them in a New Testament context as a law of liberty, uh, that, that there's a freedom that is involved in embracing these commands and, and encourages all of us to seek to live under that law of liberty. This sounds a little bit different than the restrictive view that the, the buzz term legalism hmm. gives to these laws. Right. right. Well, Absolutely. Dr. Wynell, you wrote a commentary a few, uh, last year, I guess it was printed, uh, The Freedom Trap. And in that, you said adherence to God's law would actually begin to free society from crime, murder, hate, depression, exhaustion, loneliness, <laughs> and so many other of our modern plagues. Um, that, that is freedom. That is true freedom. But it goes back to the carnal mind can't be subject to God's law. We just don't want to bring ourselves under that law unless we have a say-so on just exactly how that's to be done. Why? Why? Why, why do we not want to follow these laws? They, as you have both been describing, it seems like if we would, life would be better. Hmm. Why don't we want to do this? Well, I have, I have an answer to that. It, it might sound snarky. It's not meant to be snarky at all. Because when I was first informed of this, it was, it was uh, revelatory to me. Uh, a man was talking about how he counsels couples who are working towards marriage. They want to be married. And times where they've made a mistake. You know, if you look at the Ten Commandments, you look at the law of God, He tells us not to engage in sexual activity before marriage. God designed sexual activity to be experienced within the confines of marriage, which is where it finds its fullest expression. And he, he wrote that, you know, whenever couples admit to me that they have made mistakes in that regard, I never ask them why. Because it's Pretty plain, you know, there, there's desires. And even the Bible admits in Hebrews that sin is, uh, is pleasurable for a season, right? That's why if we're going to look at mankind trying to come up with its own laws and morality, and if it could, even some ideas of right and wrong, we're always going to be corrupted somewhat by our own desires, not just what should be done, but what we want to do. And that's why there has to be a holy God. There has to be someone who's able to set apart with the wisdom experience, if you will, uh, and the perfect kind of character to set that apart. But in terms of why do we want, uh, James and others make it plain, our lusts and such lead us astray. What we want frankly, is to do just what we want. And uh, we can't be brought under that law in a natural kind of way. Hmm. Truly. It takes, it takes God's Holy Spirit. It, it takes God's Holy Spirit in us, Christ living his life in us, and our willingness, uh, like it says in Galatians 2, our willingness to be crucified in the flesh. Uh, that we do away with the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Uh, all of that gets in the way, even with God's Holy Spirit. It's a constant struggle and it's a constant fight. And without God's Holy Spirit, there's there's just no chance. And it's uh, you look or we look around the world and we see so many examples. Uh, we can't turn on our TV set without somebody getting murdered in our living room or 
or having an adulterous affair in our living room. There's, there's even on commercials. It's we're inundated with uh, everything that's uh, against the word of God, as opposed to uh, getting into that the channel that that the the Ten Commandments would again lead us to that liberty and that freedom that we really so much desire, but. Uh, the world as a whole just doesn't know how to get there. Yeah, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, I think, that the carnal mind is enmity against the law of God, that it can't be brought into being subject, subject to that, and there has to be this kind of help. The, the law is to guide us towards what is good, and it's so easy to fall for what is wrong. We... We have to be talking about the freedom trap, which is a great title, by the way. I'll keep that in mind for, for the magazine. The... Um, the analogy was given to me once, and I appreciate it. It was like a, a railroad car. A railroad car uh, is truly free when it's on the tracks, right? When it's able to go where it's supposed to go, act the way it's designed. The railroad car that's laying on its side in a field away from the tracks is in one sense free. You know, it's free from the tracks. But you look at it, it's decaying, it's corroding. But at the same time, there's a certain temptation by that field. There's a whole area that I could be exploring, if you imagine the railroad car had a mind, that I could be going and things I could be doing. There has to be a certain trust in God that says, listen to me, I know the ways in which I want you to grow, the places in which I want you to explore, but there are ways in this world you should not. And without that kind of trust that is looking to Him, uh, we're going to create our own sort of, we all long to be free, but we don't see the freedom that's available in truly living life the way you're designed to live it. It's sadly ironic, isn't it? Dr. Franz, you just made the comment, the world doesn't know how to get there, how to get to this place of happiness and peace. And I can't help but think, Mr. Smith, about the example you gave with your student years ago, who just would not yield. He would not give in to your reasoning that, can we agree that this is wrong? No, because then we have to agree that something is right. Right. Once he gave into that, he sort of lost everything, his whole basis for his argument, right? Yeah, we are duped as humanity, really are. confused in that way. Gentlemen, we need to wind this down, but before we bid you adieu today, I would like to ask you if you would please leave our audience with a nugget of truth. What is a, a takeaway that you would like to leave our audience with today? Dr. Franz, can I start with you? Certainly. I think especially if, if you're a parent, you can relate. Uh, you want the best for your children and you help them and guide them uh, and even make decisions for them that they don't always agree with uh, or they might even be uh, just totally against, but you're doing it because you love them. Uh, you want them to have a good life. You want them to be successful. Uh, you want them to be at peace uh, within themselves and you're looking out for their future. Well, we have a, we have a father in heaven who does the same thing for us. Uh, when, when we misbehave, he'll correct us, but it's out of love because he wants us to do what he's told us to do. He, he created us. He created the dust from which he created us. Uh, he knows how we would best operate, and he gives us that knowledge in his holy word. If we would give ourselves over to that and serve him and worship him in full obedience, we would find fulfillment and joy in our life that the world is uh, selling us a counterfeit bill of goods to say, no, not that way, go this way. If we listen to our Father in heaven and obey these commandments, 
truly it would be a better world and i'm not talking about the world the globe i'm talking about the world in which we live in the environment that we interact with and those people that uh that we have uh that we're building a life with be it our, our wives our husbands our children our parents our brothers or sisters mm. um so again it's it's uh, it's following our father in heaven we give ourselves fully and wholly uh, to that and all else will would fall into place Thank you. Thank Your you. Observations, observations sort of beg the question, is there really a downside to keeping the Ten Commandments? That's a good question for another <laughs> program. Mr. Smith, your final comment. Uh, thanks. I would, I would start with encouraging our, our viewers and such to ask themselves the question, who says? If there really is right and wrong, unless you want to live in a world where you've abandoned the idea that there's right and wrong, then who says? Whose responsibility, who has the authority, who has the wisdom to decide right and wrong? Can we hashtag that? <laughs> sure, feel free and hashtag <laughs> who says. We actually have a telecast titled that on, on, our, on our website. And if it's not just society, because you know, there's a time in World War II when a certain society said what was right and wrong and the result was the slaughter of millions of people. Yeah. Uh, if it's not just the state, the only rational answer to that is there has to be a God. There has to be a God who can tell us right and wrong. And if that's the case, I would ask us to consider, would a God who's loving enough and merciful enough to tell us right and wrong, would he not make it plain? Would he not make the way something that could be understood, something simple, maybe even a list of simple commandments? Would he not do that? And if that's the case, I would encourage them to truly consider these 10 simple commandments. Maybe they could even request the booklet that, that, that we've put on the subject. Because there is a day coming, the Bible makes very plain, when He is going to send Jesus Christ to this earth and establish a kingdom in which those 10 commandments are at the very heart of what He's doing. Because He wants to share the kind of life that, uh, that Dr. Franz was talking about. So I'd ask them to consider starting that journey with the words, Who Says? Interesting, interesting question. Very thought-provoking. And yeah, we definitely encourage you to really ponder over that. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time today, for your insights. Dr. Franz, thanks for joining us from St. Louis. It's good My to have pleasure. you on the program again. Mr. Smith, again, it's always a pleasure. You know, in today's world, where no one wants to be told what to do and where anything goes, is there any wonder why many consider the Ten Commandments to be out of date? Sadly, as we've talked about, many label the Ten Commandments as legalism, if you keep them. Although keeping the Ten Commandments in their letter alone won't save us, making the effort to keep the spiritual laws in the letter and the Spirit is a spiritual prerequisite for receiving God's Holy Spirit and ultimately entry into His kingdom, just as the Bible makes very plain. Also very important is the reality that keeping the Ten Commandments brings peace and stability and blessing to our lives, as we've just been talking about. When we keep God's commandments, it allows us to avoid many different types of trials and difficulties that come when we break them. And keeping God's Ten Commandments ultimately honors Him. For more detailed understanding of how to keep the Ten Commandments in this life today and how they can change your life, we actually encourage you to go to our website, tomorrowsworld.org, and order yourself a copy or download our booklet on the Ten Commandments. It's free, and it's for you. For more Bible insights into answers to today's pressing issues, please do be sure to stay tuned to TW Now each week. Next week, we plan to delve into the age-old practice of infant baptism. Is it biblical?
or not. We'll see you again next week.